Hey friends, so welcome back um, to the podcast. Um, I am going to stray just the slightest, just the very slightest from DACA today um, to kind of talk about how I even got started with any of this information, how I came about kind of knowing about it, researching about it, um, being aware of it. Um, and all of that leads into how I met Carlos. So, um, when I was 18, I, well, when I was 17, I met Amory's dad. So Amory's my oldest. She is currently nine years old. Um, and I met her dad when I was 17. We were working at Arby's together. So Arby's was my first job. Um, Arby's is a fast food place, sells, um, fresh cut, fresh cut beef, fresh cut meats, that type of stuff. Um, curly fries. So that was my first job. Um, and I met him there and, um, at first, you know, he was the kindest person in the world, sweetest person in the world, um, thought the world revolved around him. Obviously, you know, the first love type of romance that you could imagine. Um, and, then when I was 18, um, we had Amory. Well, May of 2020, sorry, 2012, I graduated. Um, and then I had Amory in October of 2012. So I was 18, freshly 18 when I had her. And as a teen mom, um, and her dad, when we found out about her at first, he was okay with it, you know, super supportive, super sweet, super kind. Um, but the moment we had to tell everybody, um, things kind of changed. He wasn't really very kind anymore. Um, there was things about him that, uh, weren't the type of person that I used to see. Um, things he had hidden from me that, um, he didn't show the world, uh, only just to me, and that wasn't something that I was okay with. And after a while, I started to recognize some red flags that obviously I should have left. I should have fled and hidden and ran away, and I didn't, and that was silly me. Um, but I'm in a place now where I have a family that's very supportive and a husband who's pretty supportive. So um, I'm in a good place now, so that doesn't that part, you know, we're pretty past that, which is great. But, um, when I left him right before Amy turned a year old, so I left him, uh, the week of 4th of July of 2013. So right before she turned a year old, um, it was one of those things where I wasn't allowed to do something that he was allowed to do. So, uh, I had gotten upset and I was tired of you know, being told I wasn't allowed to do something that he was allowed to do all the time. And I was like, I'm, I'm not okay with this. So I left. Um, I told him I was done and that I, um, wasn't okay with it anymore. And then, um, I kind of did my own thing for a while and, you know, obviously we went to court and he got visiting rights with Amory and everything, but the following year, in May, I met Carlos. I was seeing somebody else at the time, but uh, I met Carlos in May. 
Uh, he had just started working at Walmart with me. I was working overnights uh, from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So I was working as an overnight stalker. So I stocked shelves. Uh, my main area was the cereal aisle. Now, I didn't only stock shelves at Walmart. I was a CNA as well. I had my CNA license, but I also worked at Walmart as a grocery aisle stalker um, to make up a little extra cash because for some reason being a CNA doesn't make you a lot of money um, and you get paid more as an overnight stalker at Walmart. So, because um, coincidentally enough, I was making 10, 10, 10, 30 working at Walmart overnights and then as a CNA I was working making like 10 bucks I think so yeah um and then he had started working at Walmart in May I had been working at Walmart for a year at that point um and he had started working May of 2014 and uh when I met him he had been working there for a few days and I ended up being his trainer for somebody who when he was done on his second shift work, he was to come out and help stock shelves with us. And I was the person who was chosen to help him learn how to stock shelves. And me being the person I was, just slightly OCD about some things, I told him all I wanted him to do was hold the box while I stocked the shelves. And during the whole entire time that we were doing this, he was telling me the story of how he had just driven his mom down to Texas not the week or two before, and uh, his mom was, had gone back home to Mexico because his grandma had been sick off and on for a while and she just wanted to be with her mom. And um, so he had just said goodbye and driven his mom and his brother down there and had come back and decided, you know, he wanted to do something else. And so he decided he got, he'd get a second job at Walmart. So we were both working two jobs at the time and we talked off and on, but since we both worked two different shifts, we didn't really become friends' friends. Um, and the funny thing is, is that uh, there was a bunch of girls who we all thought it was hilarious because he kept asking people if they wanted to go to lunch with him. And we weren't making fun of him, but it just felt weird that we all thought that he was like freshly 18 because he just looked so young. Um, and so we just all thought he was super young, like 18 and the rest of us, you know, we're in our twenties and so, or at least the women that he was talking to and they were in their twenties, mid twenties ish. And so they were all turning him down thinking he was 18 years old. Um, well, several months later in July, again, I don't know what it is about July, but uh, me and my boyfriend at the time, we broke up, and um, Carlos, a few weeks later, asked me if I wanted to go to lunch with him after I got, uh, after he got off work. And I was like, sure, I had seen some of the artwork he was doing, and I was like, sure, if you can show me some of your artwork. So uh, that was a good trade-off for us. He showed me some of his artwork, and he um, went to lunch, but the, the weird thing is, is that we didn't actually eat lunch, we just talked the whole time um and by the time that I had five minutes left of my lunch I was like I really probably should eat something I'm pretty hungry um and after that we started dating and by the end of October I believe we found out that we were pregnant with 
Brogan, um, and about the same time was about, I'd say is about the time that he had to renew his DACA for the first time. So because we had found out about Brogan and we had decided to move in with each other because of that, he wanted to be completely open and honest with me. Now, I, when I met him, I did not ask him anything about his status. Like that wasn't something that I felt immediately was like my right to know. Like just coming from me, my thought process was that that would kind of seem racist. That would seem really, really weird to be like, hey, do you have an immigration status? Just because you're Hispanic, you must have some type of immigration status. And I thought that'd be super weird. So I didn't ask him. I didn't worry about it. And then all of a sudden it just comes out and he's just like, hey, you know, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what I have. Would you want to go with me? And I was like, I have no idea what this is. So I spent I spent several days researching it um, before we went in for his meeting with the legal aid who was doing his DACA paperwork. And um, by the time I ended up going in with him, I only knew like the basics of DACA, which was pretty much what it was, which was protected status, um, what it did, which was to allow them to work. And I guess that was like my biggest point was making sure that he was able to work, which he was. Um, and that that was all I really cared about. And when we got in there, the legal aid, she answered every question I had at the moment. She, um, Carlos asked her questions for me so that she could talk to me about it because um, he knew I was kind of nervous and a little kind of caught off guard by everything since that wasn't really a discussion that we'd had before. Um, and it really sparked something in me to just research as much as I could for as long as I could. So after we left there, um, and over the course of several years, I've taken every chance I could to really learn as much information as I could about DACA and everything that goes along with DACA. So, um, when he renewed it that first time I was there with him. So he had DACA for the first time, the two year, the year, actually the year previously before me, the year and a half previously before me. And then when he had to renew it, I was there with him and I've been there for every renewal since. Um, so it's helped me to gain a lot of knowledge beyond what I learned that first time. Um, and it's really not that hard. You know, it's, it's, it is complicated to remember a lot of information when you think about all the things you have to remember. But honestly, I think of it like a tree. I think, okay, there's DACA, it's temporary protected status. It's, it's not TPS, but it's a type of protective status. Um, it's temporary. It's not permanent. I mean, you can renew it every two years and you can continue, but it's up to the discretion of the, uh, you know, of the, the officer, the agent, that your application goes to, um, but you can only go so far. So there is no age limit, so you can continue to apply and apply and apply even past 30 years old. So even though you had to be younger than 31 to apply initially, you can be 31 and continuing to reapply for your DACA. Um, and I, I had that misconception for DACA up until I think like two years ago. 
I always thought Carlos was going to age out. I was like, I was so worried for so long. He was going to age out about DACA. I was like, we only have a handful of years. You know, he's, he's 26, he's 27. He's, he's going to age out in like four years. I am so worried what happens when he ages out. We need to get something handled now. And then I did a bunch of research and I realized he's not going to age out. You know, they had the initial age restriction of 31 because they had to have a cutoff or it was never going to, and I don't want to say accepted because it wasn't something that had to go through the House or the Senate, but it was never going to be something that anybody would have been okay with in general. I mean, it would have been blocked, 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 blocked over and over and over again. Um, and I mean, it still is, but not to the extent that it is, it could have been. Um, so they had to have a cutoff. They, and their cutoff was the 16 years, between 15 years old, or, you know, you had to be under 15 when you arrived, but you had to be under 31 to apply. So um, those 30 years that uh, you, you could have applied for, um, because, I mean, you could talk about a 40-year-old trying to apply, a 50-year-old trying to apply, and you would have been, you would have had to have been really careful of where your cutoff was. Um, but yeah, they don't, they don't have an age out limit now. I mean, they may have something in the future, but, um, like I said, they don't really have, they don't have anything in place right now for DACA recipients that holds for any future legislation. I mean, there's, there's constantly ideas going forward by, um, people to create legislature, legislation for DACA recipients, um, and for uh, a dream act of sorts, but uh, nothing's ever gone through. There, it's always been blocked somewhere along the lines because there's something somebody doesn't agree to. Um, but I 100% believe that without DACA, I don't think that I would have met Carlos at Walmart that day in May. I highly doubt that I would have Brogan and Rowan right now. I I don't think that I would know anywhere near as much about DACA that I do. Um, I think, you know, my mom and I were talking a handful of years ago that um, we, were, we were discussing actually DACA and immigration and whatnot. And, you know, my, my mom and I see things a little bit differently, but she was saying that I wouldn't feel so strongly about immigration, especially DACA immigration, had it not been for Carlos. And I think that that's the point. The point is, is that there are certain situations that open our eyes to the world, to people who suffer different things than us. And that's the point in being who we are. And if that was what, especially somebody coming from somebody, you know, a, a religious family like I am, you know, believing in God, believing God has a purpose for everybody. What if that's my purpose? What if that's what God wanted me to do? What if he wanted me to use my voice to make a point or to make a, a vouch for DACA or to push for it or to be my husband's voice in a world where his voice is said that it doesn't matter? Um, you know, where where he can't vote or he can't 
push for certain things or nobody wants to hear what he has to say because he's not a citizen or where people say that this isn't his country or, you know, where there's constantly people telling him to go back to his country, a place where, you know, he can barely remember it. You know, to me, I can say over and over again, all these different things. I can, I can push for all these things. I, I can explain every rule. I can, I can explain every path that everybody has to go through. I can explain everything we've had to do, but I am not them. Just because I live it with my husband does not mean that I am them. They have had it so much harder than I ever have. You know, the life he had to live and the life that other DACA recipients have had to live, the, 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 the truth that they've had to be raised with, knowing what they've had to know, you know, they've had to live with so much. And I only know a portion of it. I don't think that I, as a U.S. citizen, as a white person, can even fathom that. And yes, we, my husband and I, have our struggles with immigration. And yes, there are days where I worry because of our immigration struggles. I worry that my husband won't get a green card and that they'll take DACA away and he won't have a job or he won't even have a good paying job and they know exactly where he lives at because he had to give it when he got DACA and they'll come pick him up and they'll deport him and where will I be? Where will I be? Where will he be? Because I can't leave I can't leave here. Yes, we have two kids together, but I have one kid from a previous relationship. I have one kid that I can't take with me. No matter how hard I try to fight that, I'm not going to be able to take her with me, which means I'm going to be stuck here without my husband and my two younger children will be without their father. And we're only going to be able to see him a handful of times a year, if that. And my oldest, like I... The reason why I was explaining this at the beginning is because my youngest or my oldest met Carlos. She was born in October of 2012. She met Carlos in August of 2014. She wasn't yet two. She got to know him by the time we found out about Brogan when she was right after she turned two. Carlos has continuously been in her life since before she was two years old. He moved in with us by November of 2014. So he has continuously every day been in her life since she was two years old. She called him dad from an early beginning. Not that I've ever asked her to, not that I requested her to. I think that just because Daniel was in college and so he lived quite a far away, he was seeing her once or twice a week and every other weekend. I think she was just used to seeing a fatherly figure and calling them dad. I think she was just used to to knowing that and registering it as both Daniel and, you know, her dad, Daniel, and my husband, Carlos. We weren't married at the time yet, though. And noticing that those both were dad, and that they both filled a fatherly role, and so she called them dad. 
she knows that Carlos is part of her family. And I think for her, if he weren't to be here, she would struggle too. You know, he's been in her life for as long as she can remember. Taking him away from her would just be as heartbreaking as taking him away from his two biological children. So having a permanent after for DACA is the end goal here. I mean, having something that would benefit DACA recipients where they're not going to have to leave the U.S. and forfeit their DACA and have to worry about being stuck in a country that they don't remember and leaving families behind. You know, they've established jobs here thanks to DACA. They've gotten college degrees thanks to DACA. They've, you know, gotten their driver's license. They've joined the military. They've had families. They've gotten married and had children. They've created extended church families. And, you know, they've extended businesses. They've created their own businesses. These DACA recipients are more than who they were when they got here. And we take that away they're not going to be the only ones suffering. U.S. citizens are going to be suffering, and it's not just going to be adults. I mean, it's not just going to be me. It's, it's going to be my children. It's going to be anybody else who has connections to them. And you can tell me every day, all day long, that it's my fault for getting in a relationship with somebody who's undocumented. That it's my fault for not asking him his immigrant status but it's not my right to ask him the first day we meet what his immigrant status is not just that but I think it's inappropriate to do so plus if I find somebody who treats me right and treats my daughter right and who I love and adore and who loves and adores me back who's to say that I should have stayed with the person who treated me all types of wrong, who treated me in ways who, behind closed doors, was never going to be okay. Who could have said that I should have stayed with them because they're a U.S. citizen and not should have been with the person who's not a U.S. citizen simply because they don't hold any type of green card or ability to stay in the U.S. forever? It's not fair to base a person's complete personality and sense of judgment off of their status in the United States because the person who I first fell in love with is not the person I last fell in love with the person I first fell in love with is yeah he might have been kind and gentle to begin with but he was not a kind and gentle man in the end and I don't know the type of person he is today but he's not the type of person I would have ever wanted to spend the rest of my life with. But you get the, the guy I have right now, who I married, the person who I vowed to spend the rest of my life with, and I can tell you without a doubt that even though he is not a U.S. citizen right now, he is the person who could put a U.S. citizen, a US citizen to shame, that U.S. citizen to shame. Every day. He deserves 
more than what my country has given him right now. And there are many just like him. Because as I said in my last podcast, DAC recipients are not criminals. They are not people who have a criminal record. They have done nothing wrong. The second they get a criminal record, they no longer have DACA. They are no longer allowed to have DACA. They get a DUI, more than likely, they are not going to be able to renew their DACA. They commit theft or arson or anything else that creates a criminal record for them. They will not be allowed to hold a DACA card any longer. So you tell me why our government doesn't want to help them when they have put money into our government. They've paid money into Social Security. They pay the visa fees for their DACA cards every two years. They pay into it. They keep that economic money rolling for that. They're paying legal. They're paying legally every type of fee that this government asks them to. So they're supplying to our government without taking from it. And yet our government is just ringing that in continuously. But it's understandable too why they wouldn't. Because this way they're making money without having to owe them anything. But then they have to understand that that's unfair to the U.S. citizens like me and my children who wait in limbo to see what's going to happen to those DACA recipients in our lives who do everything for us. He's our breadwinner. He's the person we look up to. He does everything for us. He is creative. He is smart. He is passionate. He fixes my car whenever I need it looked at. He is thoughtful. He makes sure that everything is done that needs to be done. Beyond everything. Beyond everything. He is no different than I am. And that is the complete reason behind DACA. And that is why when a choice is behind it, I'm glad that I chose him every day. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you guys Saturday.